Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the only English language podcast completely dedicated to the Copa Libertadores 2019. Joined today and hosted by Mr. Ollie Wilson in his Buenos Aires bachelor pad. Not wearing my pyjamas this week no, either, I'd like up, to uh, point out. I've got the, well, the gym shorts and a t-shirt. But yeah, about as sharp as I think I get. More than welcome to have you over, Dave, at any point. Oh man, your hospitality is much appreciated. Also joined by the biggest footballing hipster south of the equator <laughs> is Mr. <laughs> Peter Quatters. And he's literally just got here from watching Rosario under 17. Rosario got to keep your eye. Under... Got to keep your eye on the ball. <laughs> No, pleasure to be here. Uh, this week on the pod, we discussed all things Copa Libertadores quarterfinals. We discussed the effects of Viagra at altitude in relation to football, I should stress. Uh, and plenty more besides. Joel Richards couldn't join us. He was uh, knee-deep in South American politics somewhere in Chile. Or They need a big update on what's going on on the altitude factors actually in Quito, when really he should have just been here to discuss it all on the podcast. <laughs> And Nico is, uh, I don't know, in a Boca dreamland somewhere. Enjoy the pod. This is McAllister to go! It took an inflection! But you can't take it away from the debutant! Late drama again! Dudu's inside the area! And right balls the ball home! It's a statement performance from Palmeiras! Apila takes it down, takes the strike on! Guerrero, can he do it again late on? He finishes it. Internacional are going to the quarterfinals of the Comebol Libertadores. So we could use this as a start point instead of about five seconds ago, <laughs> which would be useful as we talk about the uh, the Copa Libertadores quarterfinals coming up. Um, I mean, we'll start with Liga de Quito against Boca Juniors. Alexis McAllister. Switch the play intelligently, lining up inside the box, and oh, it squeezes in! It squeezes in for Boca! Smiles all around La Bombonera! Because I think that's the one that's probably going to gain a lot of traction in terms of discussion around this table, because it's not just about altitude. This is, I guess, whoever gets the best result at home will probably end up going through in this tie. Two very interesting sides, two very different sides, and two very different home grounds that away sides always struggle to deal with in this competition. I mean, Pete, you know more about Argentinian football than anybody else around this table. No disservice to Windsor in any way, shape or form for that. (laughs) But talk about the Bombonera and the struggles that everybody seems to have in going there, even when Boca aren't playing their best football. Yeah, I mean... You've, you've been here since arriving to Buenos Aires. Underwhelmed. <laughs> Underwhelmed by that place. As, a, as anyone does who comes, and <laughs> you might joke, but it is one of those places where... It's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Even, even on a game which doesn't have a lot riding on it, it's incredible mm. when you come over from Europe. I remember the first weekend I arrived in Buenos Aires, went down and bought a ticket off a tout and saw them play, and I saw them lose to Godoy Cruz. And even 3-0 down, the place was electric and, and the, the stadium packed into a very old narrow streeted neighborhood the stands going almost vertically up it creates mm. this absolute cauldron which does create a remarkable atmosphere but obviously for visiting teams as well it's quite a daunting prospect there aren't many sides in south american football that have such an intimidating ground that holds that sort of capacity and generally packs it out as well and will pack it out on every Libertadores night. I mean, looking around the grounds of the Sudamericana games that we've covered and, and the Copa Libertadores games we've covered as well, sides either struggle to fill the ground completely or they're stuck with a big bowl that's got a running track as well and fans are so far away from the action that's actually taking place on the pitch and Boca have almost got this perfect stadium to provide the most intimidating atmosphere yeah. on the continent. Yeah, and you're right to mention the fact that for Libertadores in particular, that gets cranked up to 10 because for the Boca supporters, for, for supporters really across the continent, but more so for Boca, the Libertadores, as they say, is an obsession. 
and Verboca now chasing It's funny, the, the obsession record. The obsession thing's really interesting because a lot of people would shy away from that and say, oh no, it's not an obsession and kind of distance themselves from that. But it's super embraced here, isn't it, by River and Boca. And the song yeah, yeah. is, of it's, course, yeah, like... Exactly, the, the song, song is like the Libertadores is, is our obsession. Yeah, exactly. No, no. Because obsession is generally not seen as... A, I don't know, like in European football... I think people would shy away from that because yeah, they yeah. know it's about the league as well and we try we want to win every you yeah, know, yeah. tournament but well, here people double down on the Libertadores if you intentionally session. bottled a European league because your manager and your club was obsessed with getting that Champions League trophy for instance fans would be livid because they expect you to be able to compete across all competitions almost big clubs now have the squads to be able to do that it hasn't seemingly got to that point where there's the expectation yet from fans that you have to compete on every level and I guess luckily for Boca, they don't have that because they've bottled it on almost every level in the last 12 months or so. But the Libertadores, as long as they're still progressing in yeah. this year's competition, it's still all okay. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I think actually if you look back at Guillermo Barasquilotto's tenure as Boca manager, failing against River almost, almost writes off what he did, even though he won league titles. Mm. <laughs> because that's how much the Libertadores means and the fact that you know, the, the biggest game in foot, Argentine football history, the biggest humiliation of losing to River in the final of the Copa Libertadores is something which never goes away. And his, mm. his, his legacy really is, is more so that than, than anything else. And so that's why this year's tournament, however badly Boca might be playing, you're right to say, as long as they're still in the Libertadores and still in with a sh shot of winning it, doesn't really matter what else is going on. So we just saw them lose in the week. But there was a backlash. I mean, Boca got knocked out of the Copa Argentina and there was, there was a pretty strong backlash from that, right? Well, backlash in, in is that it, people, is People were pissed off. Yeah, yeah, of course, because they played really badly and lost to a, a team from the second tier of Argentine football. I mean, and it was a strong team. Let's not try and paper over this as well by saying Boca had put out the kids and lost. They put out a team which, more or less, you'd probably expect them to be playing in the Libertadores. Mm. I mean, it was a strong side. Um, and they just played very, very badly, which is worrying ahead of the game against Liga de Quito. Um, but the backlash is offset by the fact that it's like, okay, well, as long as we beat Liga de Quito and we're in the Copa Libertadores semi-finals, who gives a shit about sure. the Copa Argentina? Sure. So the first leg is in Quito. Uh, Liga de Quito came through against Olympia in the last 16 and Boca beat Atletico Paranaense to get through to the quarterfinals. Obviously, when everyone talks about Liga de Quito, it's always about altitude and quite rightly so. We were with Joel last week and the first leg is in Quito, which is nearly 3,000 metres above sea level, as I'm sure everyone knows by now. And Joel was talking last week about actually some players taking Viagra before they play. And I kind of dismissed it at the time and it was kind of jokes, but I, I read about it and it is, it's quite an established thing. Like yeah. It's a legitimate technique that's not, it's not illegal. It's not against any anti-doping things. And it's something that the Argentine national side have done. And it is, it's a kind of a, a legitimate technique. So... I don't know, it could be an option. Hasn't necessarily provided results still for anybody that's gone to Take Quito. Taking Viagra to counteract. Yeah. To counteract. Uh, I mean, we were talking about it before uh, we started the podcast. And the first time it happened was, you say it was La Paz, wasn't it, in 2017, the Argentinian national side. It was definitely publicised around then. So the theory is that altitude causes arteries to become smaller around the lungs and Viagra widens the blood vessels to counteract that. Um, so I don't know, that's the, that's the science behind it. But either way, Liga de Quito's record on home soils and all the Quito clubs and those in La Paz, I mean, it's, it's, it's there statistically for everyone to see. Yeah. Like Didn't it, lose a home game in the 2008 Copa Libertadores victory. In 2009, when they won the Copa Sudamericana, they scored 12 goals in just the home legs of the semi-final and final combined. Not obviously in each game, that would be impressive. Uh, and they only lost the home leg of the final in the 2011 Copa Sudamericana runner-up season as well. I mean, whenever they've had success, it's been off the back of playing well at home. Mm. And that's no discredit to Ecuadorian sides in Quito. They've got fine players. But at the same time, it's such a massive factor that is still surprising in this day and age that there isn't a legitimate way for teams to combat it. Sure. You know, we're talking about using Viagra, which is... Obviously not the purpose of Viagra. We're talking about teams trying to fly in 24 hours or inside 24 hours into Quito just to try and reduce the effects of altitude. But no one's cracked it yet as a way in this technological era 
of how to solve yeah, I mean, the problem. Like we were saying last week, the only thing is to go three weeks early, but obviously that's just not a viable... I mean, Boca are playing Sunday night, I think, this week, aren't they? Yeah. In the Argentine Superliga. So presumably they'll travel, you know, Monday, Tuesday. So the theory being that you just go in as close as possible to kick-off now to reduce the effects of altitude. But what's a good result for Boca then in Quito? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but do you take a 2-1 defeat and go back to La Bombonera and, and just be confident you can finish the job in Buenos Aires? I think they... A team like Boca can't ever... Openly. Can't say that, exactly. but yeah. Um, they probably, a team like Boca probably can't even suggest a draw. Is <laughs> they're just expected? I mean, you, you, you know some of their supporters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Spoke to Nico today, actually, yeah. He was confident. Option. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's not an option to say against anyone, really, like, oh, we'll go for a draw. But such are the, sec- the situation when you go to Quito that a draw would be a wonderful result for Boca. Mm-hmm. They could just come back to La Bombonera knowing a win's enough. Mm-hmm. Has Gustavo Alfaro kind of got a Boca side that is set up to get a draw in somewhere like Quito? Because it's not an open, expansive form of oh, football. It's a unit, isn't it? And they reduce the opportunities in the heart of the pitch. Quito used the flanks very well, uh, Liga de Quito, when they come forward. But they still smother that middle of the park, much like, uh, say, an Atletico Madrid has done in the past against the likes of Barcelona to reduce their threat. So it's a side that can certainly batten down the hatches early on and they have the talent still going forward to hit on the counter-attack as we've also seen at times in this competition. He's got a potential formula for success just with the unorthodox way he plays four central midfielders in a 4-4-2. It's kind of ugly to watch, but yeah, I guess in, in the Libertadores... Yeah, no, I, I think it suits Alfaro as a manager as well. It suits him having a situation where it's like you don't have to go for broke because mm. that's not him I mean that's one of the, the criticisms with that cup defeat to Almagro in the week like you're playing a lower league side why the hell are you not on the front foot really going sure. for it um, and it's probably why in the long run unless he wins the Libertadores is, is not going to be the manager that Boca are looking for it's like a safe choice wasn't he rather than exciting yeah the choice. lack of other viable options at the time okay he's, he's there and available and wants it so it works out and you know in these situations in Quito it, it could he could work out because I think as you say mm-hmm. he's going to set up a team that's very hard working sits back and tries to play on the counter and he, he does have the players to do that um, will be interesting to see with obviously the players that have gone since yeah. the last round how that affects things but um, I said Benedetto gone Nandez gone yeah I, 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 who's going to be missed the most out of particularly that, out of those two for me, Nandes, because the amount of energy that he brings to that midfield. Yeah, he was the best player from what I saw. And it's very difficult to replace. He's certainly not going to be replaced by a 36-year-old no. Italian, no matter how, <laughs> yeah, how good the Rossi night. still is. But you can't expect... Scored, scored on the, uh, the <laughs> yeah. game in midweek. I mean, you know, but, I mean, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not blaming him for the <laughs> cut sure, defeat. Sure. He scored it headed in from a corner. But, but crazy that he's like... You know, he's going to be going to altitude and, you know, like you say, he's 36 years of age. I mean, presumably he's going to start, you know, in that Libertadores game. And Yeah, yeah and, then, and, and the thing is, is we're now looking at Boca in a way having to change at this vital stage of the tournament to say, OK, well, how do you line up that midfield? You mentioned the fact that it was like a very odd midfield that lined up against Atletico Paranaense with a lot of central midfield players. But Nandez was vital to that because he was a central midfield player who's got the legs to be able to play out on that right-hand side, go up and down. De Rossi's not going to obviously be able to do that. He's going to play somewhere in the middle, probably with Marconi. Then you're left with Alexis McAllister, who did play in the week, not very well. Playing on that left-hand side, but not naturally there. Tends to come inside when he is out there. Doesn't want to play out there, does he? No, of course not. Shouldn't be playing out there. He's a wonderfully creative player in the middle of the pitch. But it does create a slight overload, because I'm assuming Salvio comes in now, Big be- hopes on him, eh? Heard some of the expectation around him. Yeah, Obviously, he's, looked, he's got pedigree. And he's right? looked good since he mm. rejoined. He's looked, he looks like he's going to be a great signing, a signing which he should be for someone of his, his age coming from Europe back. He'll provide that threat on the counter as well. Um, but it makes Bocker slightly lopsided because he naturally is a wide right-sided player. On the left-hand side, you're going to stick McAllister there. He's going to drift into the spaces behind the front man where Zarate or Tevez is going to normally play and so th- there's that to balance and then the fact that like you said Benedetto not there as well who now is the number nine because we're now set, we're now looking at Franco Soldano mm-hmm. 
potentially being their first choice number nine instead of Ramon Avila. So lots of questions over their starting yeah. 11. Not ideal going into a huge quarterfinal. Whereas Quito seem to have adaptability to their side because they've got uh, Johan and Anderson Julio, who both scored, Aguirre who scored, and then they've got the man mountain that is Anangano, who, if you want to play a route one ball up to him, you can bring him on and adapt your style. If it's playing down the flanks and feeding balls in and perhaps keeping the ball on the deck isn't working as well. It's Yeah, they've got pace, don't they? That Liga side. More than. Yeah. I just The only thing I wonder is perhaps having the first leg in Quito is beneficial to Boca because they can go home and know what they need to get. Mm-hmm. And the fans will know what they need to get. And that atmosphere, if they are trailing after the first leg, will be absolutely rocking. Whereas if you go to Quito for the second leg, as we've seen in both of the main tournaments on the continent this year, it's very difficult to hold on to what you've got when you're almost invited to play on the back foot straight away from the starting Quito and the legs are continually getting drained and drained and drained and you're gifting them more and more possession. Sure. And they eventually but then Liga will say that they, you know, if they can win that first leg, they've got something to hold on to, right? They've got something to protect. True. And that puts a massive amount of pressure on Boca if, if Liga can get a result in the first leg. And also, it's an interesting story that the Liga boss, Pablo Repetto, was the Independiente del Valle boss in 2016 for their run to the, to the final of the Libertadores and knocking out Boca and River en route. Knows so the he'll, formula. He'll, he'll fancy it again. But yeah, for me, it's the standout tie of the round, for sure. It's certainly the most intriguing, I think, when you look, or certainly the most potential for a... a Supposed upset. We haven't really had too much of. Now, we were talking the last 16, there weren't really big upsets, were there? And even the group stages, Mm. most of the teams you expect to go through went through. I mean, aside maybe from Peñarol going out, and they had a tough group, to be honest, with Liga de Quito and uh, Flamengo in there. I mean, there hasn't been many big sides that have fallen short too early. You've been to Quito? No, no, I haven't. La Paz? No. La Paz is higher, right? Yeah. A little bit, apparently. Joel, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the highest altitude is like uh, in the, the very north of Argentina before you get to the border okay. with Bolivia, which we getting towards that. Ollie was dismissing it because he said, oh, <laughs> I've been to the national parks in America, which uh, are pretty high. I've done, some, I've done some cycling around about 2,200 metres above sea level. And yeah, it's only another, what, 600 metres up towards Quito. And yeah, I'm, I'm not a healthy man in any way, shape or form as the fact that I've got a nice beverage in front of me will uh, attest to. But um, yeah, I, no, it's obviously a massive sure, game changer. You can, you can visually see it on a football pitch and there aren't many things that you can notice that easily and almost predict that comfortably that it's going to affect the latter part of a game but yeah it, some people can hack it I guess <laughs> <laughs> athletes like yourself yeah, <laughs> yeah very much so <laughs> uh, we'll do predictions I guess later on sure. rather than uh, kind of do them game by game um, so let's move on to the other Argentinian side in the quarterfinals River Plate against Cerro Porteño and a cracking header just guided in by the substitute Oscar Ruiz. Set up a tenio in front, and the stadium absolutely erupts. Two quick goals, and they are back in the driving seat. And I feel this is definitely one that I need to take a slight back seat on because I've only done a couple of River games. I've watched as many as I can. I've barely seen Cerro Porteño in this mm-hmm. competition. They played well against San Lorenzo in the second leg. I noticed that. They had a wonderful second goal, beautiful delivery and a diving header. But they haven't really caught my attention, at least, during this tournament so far. Yeah, also, it's... I mean, I, we'll talk about, obviously, River against Serra Portenia, but it's just so difficult not to look at what happens if River and Boca both win. They could, of course, meet in the semi-finals. That's that half of the draw. Um, but, OK, as for Serra Portenia, <laughs> well, they had the... I mean, San Lorenzo are a poor side and they got past them in the last 16. They had a pretty easy group. Um, I mean, I'd be amazed if River had any problems against them whatsoever. I know River got through against Cruzeiro on penalties, but Cruzeiro a different outfit to, to Serra Portenia, so... You'd really, I mean, River should do the job. Yeah, I would be astonished. M- much more so than if Liga de Quito knocked out Boca. I'd be mm-hmm. far more surprised if Cerro Porteño knocked out River. I just think, no, no, you boys have spoken already a lot of, on the podcast about 
Marcelo Gallardo's River, but just him having a, a knack of even when River aren't playing well, just being able to do enough to get results. And he's not interested in the Super League much, is he, Gallardo? Yeah, I mean, well, it just goes back again to the Libertadores' yeah. obsession. Is is if River are doing well in the Libertadores, then doesn't matter. Then. Most people are going to say, okay, well. Who cares? Yeah, win the league later. They tend to do enough in the league to qualify for the next Libertadores, whether or not they win it. Sure. And then it's like, okay, well, we would have liked to have won the league, but, I mean, who, who can say anything about Rivers 2018? No, like, of he, course. He beat Boca in the final of the yeah. Copa Libertadores. But it's it like, is a, you know, that is a stretch though, isn't it? Like it's, you know, most in most countries, the league is is just slightly behind the Champions League or the, or the equivalent. You know, I just so think you're trying to set a precedent for Liverpool fans after last year. Yeah. It's not about the league, it's about the European Cup and the continental competitions. Yeah. <laughs> it always will be. They do need to get out of second or third gear at some yeah. point though, River, in this competition because I wouldn't say they were lucky to get through their group but they would have been expected to top it and Internacional played them very well in, in both the close ties that they had together. And we haven't seen River get out of first gear. Too many nil-nils, too many draws, and not enough quality in the final third, apart from maybe the odd bit of build-up play, but the final ball still seems to be lacking at times. Yeah, 100%. I don't think we've seen anywhere near what River can do. Mm. Um, Prato is always going to be a nuisance in attack, but Santos Borre hasn't found the form that he did building up to the 2018 final. Matias Suarez is in and out, and I think with the injury to Juan Fernando Quintero, it's, it's that's left, the big one, yeah, right? It's left a, a prop. Well, and obviously Pity Martinez leaving for Atlanta, sure. it's, it's, it has left a, a void creatively. Puts a lot on Nacho Fernandez, um, and then they're, they've obviously asked a lot more this year from the likes of De La Cruz, who is yet to be that player who can really grab a game by the horns and take control. It's more like the super sub coming off the bench, De La Cruz. Like, if you bring him on and there are tired legs, he can run at them. And I'm, again, I'm only speaking from what I've seen. And obviously, you saw him against International come off the bench and have an impact score in the, uh, in the 2-2 draw in Brazil. And, uh, and he was kind of the deciding factor why River got back into that game was his involvement in the game. And so th- I, from what I've seen, there are certainly enough signs that he can come on and make an impact, but not really carry a team, no. per se. And that, I think that's the problem. And I think what's what most River fans would say as well is someone who's capable of brilliance, but is equally or even more capable of being either anonymous or just hugely frustrating. And that kind of performance, unfortunately, is not going to w- win your ties. It's, um, it's interesting for Sarah Potenio because you and I watched Libertad against Gremio in the last round. They were a side that started the competition well and then drifted off at the latter part of the group stage and it really hindered them going into the knockout stage and playing quite obviously a better side as well. Gremio dealt with them very easily. But Serapoteno are kind of in the same boat. They started the competition with four wins in a row in the group stage, only one in that second leg against San Lorenzo, drawn two and lost one since then, that loss coming away at, uh, at Zamora. It's just you, it's not the way you want to be going into the knockout stages in any way, shape or form with just one win in your last four and stuttering and stumbling and they still had to come from behind as well in that game against San Lorenzo yeah and like Dave said so this is not a great San Lorenzo side this is a San Lorenzo no. side that have been struggling enormously domestically Juan Antonio Pisi came in recently for, and he was in charge for that last 16 tie um, but hasn't looked that good in the league games and so was a tie which they sh- probably would have got when they saw the draw and thought, okay, great, we'll take San Lorenzo. They couldn't buy a win in the league. So the fact that they managed to just about overturn a first leg defeat doesn't fill you with a huge amount of confidence. And River is certainly a different proposition to San Lorenzo. Mm. What about Quintero though? He's back, he's potentially back in October, right? Something like that? Yeah, I think it's not. So is it just stay in the tournament until he, you know, the semi-finals are in the first week of October and I think the third week of October. So as soon as he's back, if he's game changer. Fit, oh, 100%. So is, if they're still in the tournament and then Quintero gets back fit, Favourites. you immediately yeah. say, okay, River, are, <laughs> River's chances of winning increase by 50%. I mean, mm-hmm. that's how much of an impact he could have. This is a guy that talent-wise should be playing in Europe. One reason or another, he, he isn't. Mm-hmm. But when he's on form, that left foot deliveries, his passing is just on another level to anything else you see 
in South America. So I think if River Salinity comes back, it's a massive difference. And also, I think um, to a much lesser extent, if they get Skokov mm-hmm. back fit as well, adds another useful, experienced striker to the mix um, who's scored important goals. So the storyline is Quintero comes back for the semi-finals against Boca. <laughs> ah. Buenos Aires burns to the ground, but River go marching on <laughs> to the final in Santiago at the end of November. I, mean, I, wouldn't, write, <laughs> I wouldn't write that off. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what about Diaz? They, they, they've got him. They yeah. start, I mean, they seem to drag on for ages. Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute mess. Yeah. I'm not, he was the one that Gachado wanted. Yeah, but I mean, it, I don't understand why it took so long because it's not an incredibly not expensive transfer yeah. fee and surely a club of River's stature should be able to afford less than $5 million. Um, when you look at the likes of Boca, even San Lorenzo, Rindependiente, spending that amount of money quite easily. Um, so it's a reason why supporters are frustrated with President Rodolfo D'Onofrio to say, come on, how are we not able to sign one player? Mm. And when River sold Camilo Machada to San Luis in Mexico early, much earlier in the window, it should have been tied up almost immediately. Cachado, I immediately identified Paolo Diaz to say, okay, we want a versatile defender. Diaz being able to play in the centre of defence or at fullback, but it just dragged on and on and on. So at least they do now have him in. But at the same time, it's sort of, a versatile defender, but you don't look at the River team and say, okay, Paolo Diaz is a game changer. Right. Because the back four, whenever you're, when Pinola is fit, he's been injured recently, but there's not a doubt long-term, the back four is pretty settled um, and has always performed pretty well. So Paolo Diaz is a good addition to the squad, but it's not, I don't think he's going to suddenly increase their chances of winning the Libertadores. From what we've all seen on this, because this is all from this side of the draw as well, as we touched on, if Boca and River both win, it'll be a... Semi-final yeah. Or it could be two. a Cerro Porteño Liga de Quito semi-final. Could very easily, or Liga de Quito River, I think, is the one that most people seem to kind of almost fancy as the, mm. it wouldn't be the storyteller's choice, but it would be one that you look at and think that's quite likely considering the kind of performances Boca have put well, in. Well, the city would breathe a sigh of relief as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At least. But it, people want it and they yeah. don't want it, I guess. Of course. But, I mean, Boca fans want it. I don't know if, I mean... I don't know if, if you're a River fan. Well, Joel said last week on the podcast that he always wa- all, everybody always wants it because you always want to beat your rivals in that sense. Because and well, River can never really be trumped after last year, yeah. wasn't it? Because of we didn't have our home leg. If I was a River ever. fan, I wouldn't want it because I wouldn't want anything to to tarnish yeah, what happened in Madrid. I just don't think you can you can't have that mentality of saying oh, we we don't want to play our rivals. No, but as a fan, you can you can still. You're, you can you're, whisper it to other no, fans. You're going to the Bombonera with something that. to protect with this sort of action. I, don't. <laughs> you're and I, and I think that's, that's the key thing anyway, what you've said, Oliver, like, is that nothing trumps 2018. So even if they lost the semi-final, Boca fans obviously would be jubilant, but mm. River fans immediately would say, oh, mm. <laughs> don't ever forget 2018. <laughs> and that, that's, the, that's the nature of the support. Before that final... All you ever heard from the two sets of supporters was Boca fans saying to River, don't ever forget when you were relegated. Yeah. Because yeah. that was the, the big stain on the history. Sure. It was like, mm. we've never been relegated. But you have. Don't ever forget that. And then River have this, and now it's that. But if River, if, if, if Boca knock out River in the semi-finals and go on and lift the trophy, I don't know if, if you're a River fan, it feels a little bit thin to say, hey, remember what happened in Madrid, guys? Like, if you say, hang on, you we had two me? legs in Buenos Aires, we won, we knocked you out, we went on and lifted the trophy. If I'm a Boca fan then, I think you've got the upper hand. Football fans always hark back to the bit of history that suits them the best, though, yeah, don't sure. they? I mean, yeah, they do, but the most recent history will always be the rawest and the most powerful. Look, you, but you'd, all, you'd always just bat it away with it. Yeah, that's fine. You can have this year. We won it last year against you. I was, I'm, the only thing I... In Madrid. Yeah, we didn't even have our home leg. I mean, that's always going to be a stain on Boca. Yeah, but they won it outside the contest. I mean, I don't know if I was a. I, I wonder if winning a mano y mano winner takes all Libertadores final would cancel out between Boca and River would cancel out what happened last year. Would that's because then it would be like we'll take you on any ground anywhere and one game one night we're better than you kind of thing, and that's the only way. Yeah, I, I know, could see we, it being levelled up. If we were talking about the two teams potentially meeting in the final, then it's fair game because it's, it's basically the same. So, I mean, 
whoever would win that would say it would either be like okay we cancel out what you did in 2018 or <laughs> double, down, double down down <laughs> but um otherwise i think yeah the river fans would be able to swat off however you, logically you want to look at it dave mm. i think river fans would be able to say okay i'm a logical man yeah. You got to live with the passion of the sport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're happy for the VAR introduction and to oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to take that emotion out of the game. It seems. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think we've covered River Plate and Sarah Patenio as much as we really can, to be honest. In that, yeah, one, we did have a question on from Pat on Twitter talking about Paraguayan clubs and uh, yeah. yeah, I mean it was quite disappointing Paraguayan clubs and their influence on the Libertadores this year. A pretty disappointing, really, for. Um, for Olympia to get knocked out against Liga de Quito and Libertad to get absolutely smashed by Gremio. I think if you put them the other way around and if Olympia had played Gremio, you'd have had a far better game between those okay. two. Because uh, Olympia dug themselves into a big hole in that first leg against Liga de Quito. It was always a tough task and as soon as they missed that penalty in the second yeah, leg, yeah. that was kind of game done. But they were one of, and I still stand by this, one of the best sides to watch in the group stage. And if Olympia score that pen, like, yeah. Game on suddenly, yeah. That's a huge uh, psychological kind of boost if they put it in the back of the net. Uh, Mendieta missing it in the second leg of the last round. But I'd like to go to Asuncion and watch some football there. I think. Yeah. You could double up on a couple of games in a weekend, yeah. which would be quite nice. But I, I'm surprised of all the teams at Serra Patenio that are get, have got this far. And it may be because of that luck of the draw against yeah. San Lorenzo more than anything else. Because Libertad started the competition so strongly, Olympia have looked like the team that can play the best football out of the three Paraguayans in this competition this year. And Serapatenio have kind of just gone about their business and done enough, started the competition well with those four wins, as I say, and then, yeah, just plodded along and done enough to get here. But Yeah, I mean, I, I would put that down to the draw. I think they all started really well in the group stages. They all sort of wrapped up their qualification pretty early which maybe didn't help because I think they all started to drop off even before the group stages didn't end. But then in the case of Cedro Patenio, they got the best draw by getting San Lorenzo. Mm. It's the only ground we've seen some real naughtiness in Paraguay in that last game between San Lorenzo yeah, and Cedro Patenio. Yeah, really well behaved, Libertadores so far. Yeah, yeah. Has, yeah. <laughs> dot, 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 yeah. dot. <laughs> we'll replay that when we get those <laughs> two massive <laughs> classicals in the semi-finals. <laughs> the continent burns to the ground. Yeah, at least two countries. We should probably look at the other side of the draw. Yeah, that was the top half of the draw, yeah. The bottom half is all Brazilian. Yeah, which is interesting. And I'm not sure if it becomes kind of like a great leveller or not. Do we treat these as if they were league games or do we treat them like home and away advantage still counts? Flamengo against Internacional and Gremio against Palmeiras. We'll start, I think, on our running order. I've got Flamengo Internacional first. Quick one from D'Alessandro into the box and into the back of the net. Rodrigo Moledo. What a way to bring up 150 appearances for the club. Internacional are going to the quarterfinals at the Comibor Libertadores. Probably the best tie of the two all-Brazilian ties. It's the side that have spent a lot of money, around about $50 million or so in the kind of 1920, uh, sorry, 1819 window. Mm-hmm. Um, Flamengo against Internacional, who I still will back. Play lovely football. The most complete team that I've seen in this competition so far. Could be really good to watch this one. It's the most attacking tie of the round, I think. You know, for two sides that, were, from what I've seen of this tournament, two sides that will really go at each other. And Flamengo has spent a lot of money on big names as well. I mean, the, the Balotelli signing, which obviously hasn't happened in the end, and it was one of those that Mario Balotelli, for those that don't know, is really heavily linked to Flamengo, and some people even saying it was done. But it didn't make sense to me from it, the first time I read it, I was like, well, that's not happening. Like, why would it? it doesn't make any, they've already got Gabriel Barbosa, who is alive by himself. But where, where on earth would he fit in? You know, just behind Balotelli, but anyway, it's not happening, so... A few months on this continent, I'm starting to not read into transfer <laughs> rumours. Like yeah. Uge- That was one that was just ridiculous. Ujoa to Cologne was one in the last two weeks that's been fascinating, because he was apparently, according to our, the Argentinian press, desperate to arrive at Cologne, the former Leicester City striker, itching to play after leaving uh, Mexican football. And then you go onto like a European football site, and it's, yeah, Ujoa is eyeing suitors from Spain and Italy at this point. 
and is not interested anyway, shape or form in Cologne, but the Argentinian press saying it's basically a done deal. So I will take everything that I see, as I do with most transfer rumours now, with a bit of a pinch Even of salt. Even more so with, with the bigger clubs in the continent. I mean, a Cologne rumour isn't particularly spicy. Sure. But oh, that's a bit harsh on Cologne. I mean, you know. Nah, I mean, so <laughs> football city. Um, if you take a, take the flea out of Cologne, there's not yeah. much to watch in that city. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, Boca, Flamengo, the, the big regime. Yeah. I think it's, there's... A lot of money to be made yeah. in those rumours. So um, I think that seemed to come... I think there was interest, but I think it came more from... Yeah, Jorge Jesus was saying, yeah. like... He was pretty much saying, look, we need, need a number exactly. nine. He didn't say... Yeah, like, I'm not saying there was... There obviously was something there, but, I mean, just from a kind of logistical point of where on earth is he fitting yeah. in an already kind of ego-filled uh, yeah. uh, flamingo well, side. I think it's know. because of the fact that what we've seen is Gabriel Barbosa plays that number nine. And he's on fire as well. Yeah, he looked really, and he's somewhat recapturing that form that sure. made him such a potential superstar in his younger years. Younger and he'll go back to Europe, I think. Yeah, you'd imagine. He's so. 22 he's or something 20, like that, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the fact that Jorge Jesus talks about him as somewhere in between a mm. 9 and a 10, and he drops off, and they'd like someone who's more out and out penalty box sort of striker, which is what I think gave a bit of weight to that Balotelli rumour, but... Um, I mean, I, I personally, I think Mario Balotelli is one of the most people. He's just got a bizarre reputation of being really good, and he's he's really not. Like he's had maybe three or four moments in his career. He set up Aguero's goal to win City the the Premier League, and obviously had that incredible uh, tournament with Italy. But I mean, he really he's not very good. He's genuinely not very good, Mario Balotelli. He's, he's had a handful of good moments in his he's career. He's a player that's had the potential to do yeah. that consistently and for whatever reason, if it comes down to attitude or if it just comes down to the fact that maybe he isn't as good as everybody thinks, or think, what, yeah. but he hasn't produced it consistently and that's the key thing at the end of the day because, as you say, there were flashes of brilliance and he's had some big moments for himself and he's had... He's nearly 30 now. Yeah, you can't be... Bu- you're not buying somebody like that on potential. No. Um, I wondered if maybe that was a try and get a relationship between he and Gabby Gold, but Balotelli would be the last person I'd ever want yeah. mentoring a young forward <laughs> in any way, yeah, shape yeah. or form. Hey, young forward, he's, <laughs> get some fireworks around the flat. We'll have a laugh. A few problems and like <laughs> questions about his discipline. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. Introduce that. Sure. Putting those two together could be yeah. uh, well. This the streets of uh, Rio could be interesting <laughs> if those two were together, but that doesn't seem to be going through. But they do have. As you mentioned, one of the best goal scorers left in this competition because at the big goal scorers, there aren't many left. Gustavo Scarpa for Palmeiras has five and is still in the competition. But then it's Gabriel Barbosa. Everybody else who is in the kind of five or more goal club is out of the competition. It's there to be had. And Gabby Gold, considering what we saw against Emelec with his performance, two goals in that second leg to pull them back into the tie and then brought off, but they won it on penalties, could take this tournament by storm and end up being the top scorer uh, out on his own. They have spent a lot of money. Again, I've covered them once for a full 90 minutes. I've watched them a couple of times. They're a good fun side to watch. They're a really attacking side. I just wonder if they've faced a side as disciplined yet as Internacional in this competition. Because when you look at when they had their joy against Emelec in the last knockout stage in the the second leg, that was when Emelec were at sixes and sevens at the back and looked an absolute disaster defensively. And once they kind of sorted themselves out in the second half, Flamengo got stuck trying to break him down and try and find that winner and looked like they could be threatened on the counter-attack. The only other thing on the other side of that is that Internacional have got a relatively old front line. You know, if Sobis plays instead of Nicolas Lopez, it's about 107 that you get with the Alessandro and and Guerrero (laughs) (laughs) in terms of the accumulative age. And look, they've got creativity and can break at pace at times, but they can't do that for 90 minutes. And I don't think that would play into Inter's hands anyway. But uh, trying to work out how these two will play each other and who's going to be victorious over two legs is really tough to call at this point. I mean, do you think the fact that they're both Brazilian sides, does it nullify that home field advantage that we talk about so much in the Libertadores? Or or is that that still a factor because the crowd's more up for it for these big European... Oh, sorry, South American nights. Oh, <laughs> Slip of the tongue, yeah. <laughs> Anyone could win at this stage, you're down to the last eight, but I just, uh, I think it all levels out in the sense that, yeah, the Brazilian sides spend the most money and they are the best sides, they're the best football league sides that I can see in the tournament, with the exception maybe of River. But uh, I think that's a cracking tie, I think it should be really entertaining. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I think I'm really looking forward to that one. Flamengo, the amount of money they've spent. I've been underwhelmed with them. I mean, I know me and Oli covered their last leg and for a for a brief period, you sort of think, oh, this is, this is terrific and they really went off the boil and then there's a lot of players there that with big on big money, big reputations that just didn't really... Oh, yeah, I mean... It cannot be understated, the no. amount of money. They've got to win something big this year. Oh, 100%. Yeah. If they were to go out to Inter, it's a disaster. I mean, we would potentially going out to Emelec would have been even, even worse. But mm. we're looking at a manager who's been there a little more than a month. And a lot of people want them to fail, you know? Yeah, but, I mean, it's because it's, not, it's, it's, it's an not abnormal... Sure, it's a little bit rare. I mean, this is, it's not something which Brazilian clubs would do. Um, it's been a, it's a, a country which is held back by bad coaching, in my opinion. I mean, you look at a lot of the teams have very, very poor managers. Um, and I think that they've actually done something very positive in, in looking elsewhere, bringing someone in. And that, so in that sense, I do, I do sort of hope it works for, for Brazilian football. I think it could be positive. But if they were not to not get past Inter, then you'd have to say it's, it's a failure because they have spent such vast mm. sums of money for South American football that you they just have, have to put them in a different bracket. They have made a lot of money. I mean, they have backed this spending with big transfer fees going out the other way. It's not the case of like a, a Manchester City or something. Where, I mean, the owners have obviously put money in, but for instance... Got money to spend. Paquetar and Vinicius Junior, the sales made around about what 60, 70 million at yeah. least. I mean, there's money to be spent and it's done under kind of financial fair play rather yeah. than just chucking it about too liberally. Obviously, the wages as well on top of that will always hinder them. But I don't think there should be a grudge against them for spending that money. That when you say, yeah. oh, they're a big spending club, so they demand success, it's very easy to kind of tell a narrative of oh they're obviously financially backed in some way better than other players they've just been able to sell a couple of big players in the last few years and and get a lot of cash for them yeah no that's that's also true but at the same time there's a slight imbalance in the outgoings and ingoings based on the fact that usually the outgoings are, are young players who won't be demanding massive wages by the time they leave the players that come back are usually mm. players at the latter part of their careers who are now saying i'll come back but <laughs> i want a huge amount so suddenly your wage bill goes shooting up, which Flamengo would have found. But um, no, no, I mean, I, it's not a begrudging thing, but it does bring huge expectation. Then the, the last Brazilian tie of the competition, Grêmio against Palmeiras. Dudu's inside the area and rifles the ball home. It's a statement performance from Palmeiras as they cruise with a swagger. Into the last eight of the competition. Um, Grêmio were, without a doubt, head and shoulders above Libertad in their first knockout stage game over the two legs. Were excellent. Big Phil Scolari leading a Palmeiras side that have absolutely choked it in the Brazilian Serie A after, I was told, some people were trying to hand them the trophy going into the winter break with a five-point lead and now sat in second, four points, I think it is, off Santos and... Uh, yeah, things aren't going well for Palmeiras domestically, but in the Sudamericana they had a sorry in the Libertadores they had a fantastic victory over Godoy Cruz in the second leg and won at a canter. I mean, you watched that, Dave. You've sure. probably seen the one of the best performances we've seen from Palmeiras in this tournament. Yeah, they're a good side, isn't it? Was a, it was a young Godoy Cruz, Cruz side in, in the last sixteen in that in that second leg and Palmeiras won won four nil. Um, they're a really good side. They're another like, they're another Brazilian side that has spent an awful lot of money. In and should be good and they are good they are a really good side uh, Phil Scolari I don't know but I think people in Europe look at him really fondly Phil Scolari I don't know he's obviously he'll forever be associated with what happened to Brazil um, against Germany but uh, it was really interesting Tim, Tim Ricky was talking about how Scolari doesn't come out now when his side when he sends his assistant coach out to the press conference but he, uh, he will when uh, his side that was because they had a loss and Scolari was asked about it and he said, oh, you know, and particularly after the troubles they've had domestically, he said, ah, oh, well, no one's died. And then the fans turned up at a training yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and said kind of Lots like, of if you lose this weekend, we're going to kill you. And so Scolari said, all right, well, when we lose, I'll come out and face the press. But when we win, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to send yeah. my assistant. 
which is actually quite a ballsy thing to do yeah, for a I manager. Think, yeah, it's, I think it's impressive. It's, um, and those two actually, Gremio and Palmeiras play each other in, domestically at the weekend as well. And they're both in poor form. Gremio have been in really bad form. But they've got good players, Palmeiras, so... Yeah, so it's an all-Brazilian second half of, of the draw. It's difficult, again, to read too much, I think, into the win over Godoy Cruz as well, similar to how we mentioned Cerro Porteño, because Godoy Cruz are a pretty lousy um, outfit. And when you look at the level they were when they qualified via the Superliga, then you have that quite long six months before the even tournament starts. Then we're now one year or more on from when they actually finished in the top when they finished second in the it's league. Crazy, uh, it's crazy how early sides qualify. I was looking exactly, at 20, yeah. who's qualified 2020. No, no, I mean, Argentina's, everyone's qualified, except the Copa yeah. Argentina. Yeah, 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 so Argentina's a close Tigre, Tigre, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so Tigre are going to be there, even though they play in the, in the Primera Nacional. But Godoy Cruz have dropped off so much from when they finished second in the league. And you mentioned they're a young team, but they've also now got a pretty terrible manager, in my opinion, Lucas Benali. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's difficult. You look at the 4-0 result and you think, oh, wow, Palmeiras are flying. But you take into account the opposition and the opening goal was a rather generous penalty. Yeah, certainly dubious. <laughs> yeah. The, the, but you could, could say that with Flamengo's yeah, one against Emily because well, if we it. want to start talking yeah, about even, penalties. I think even more so the Palmeiras one. Yeah. I mean, we definitely file it under the new interpretation of the handball rule. Yeah, yeah. Um, which opened up Godoy Cruz and you know they ended up yeah, coasting yeah do you but look at the first leg at all then because Palmeiras struggled against Godoy Cruz in the first leg is that yeah, yeah which is what which is what makes me slightly hesitant with Palmeiras because I think hang on a second this Godoy Cruz team are not particularly good I know it was two early goals so you could argue that you know just started slowly and then came back into it and managed to get a very good away result too, too in the end. You thought, okay, they're in prime, prime position to come back home and, and win the tie, which they did. But it's not a good Godoy Cruz team and they drew 2-2 two, two away. So you think if they perform anything like that in this round, they're in trouble. It's interesting that both of these sides are two Brazilian sides that are lacking a number nine that's been scoring yeah. consistently. Now, Borja for Palmeiras scored in uh, both legs against Godoy Cruz, which if we're not, yeah. yeah, but if we're not looking into the performances against Godoy Cruz, particularly <laughs> from an attacking sense against a, a lesser side, then you can say, well, you know, he's, he's done well and it's good to end the drought, but he needs to do it in bigger games. Gremio, on the other hand, I mean, they haven't got a number nine that's consistently no. finishing and everything goes through one player, Everton, who at least for them, is still about. At this point. Yeah, and he's lively and he's dangerous and he'll end up in Europe for sure, yeah. It's just a matter of how long they can delay that move at this point. Yeah, I mean, you do wonder why, if it's going to happen, why it hasn't happened. I mean, when you look back at the, the terrific Gremio side that won the Libertadores two years ago, um, Luan was the main man. And everyone at the time, he's South American Football of the Year as a result, everyone's saying, OK, well, he's bound to move on. He's still at the club. He's dropped off tremendously. Now he's on the bench and when he comes on, you think, oh, well, he's not going to do much. He's not going to certainly be the catalyst to change things. So you do, I'm not saying, you know, two years from now, Everton's still going to be at Gremio and people are going to go, oh, do you remember when we were talking about him going to Europe? But he's just come off a terrific Copa America. How is he not getting that move now? Um, in the meantime, it's, it's great for Gremio that they still have him, but um, it is interesting that he, they do have him available. Don't know the changes to the squads yet, but they did also bring in Luciano, the centre-forward, who's been plying his trade at Fluminense, I think, in Brazil. Brought in from Leganes, he was on loan in Brazil and kind of moved on now to, uh, to Gremio, which is another then number nine option. But it seems like there's almost a case of they've got three or four now at Gremio and they're just trying to throw one, all of them at the wall at once and see which one will yeah. eventually stick and start scoring some goals. Just after Andre bagged a couple in the last game against Libertad and maybe showed that he can be that number nine at this point. There's a lot up in the air in that front line outside of Everton and Allison yeah. on I the flank. I think they have to hope that that performance from Andre in the last round kickstarts his performances in this tournament because before then he was someone who you just looked at and thought, well, he isn't going to score the goals that we need the Copa Libertadores. 
And on the bench, okay, Diego Tardelli came on and scored a very important goal, but isn't going to regularly score the goals. Um, and then there is just that reliance on Everton to, if they're going to win it. And the club had almost given up on Diego Tardelli as well before he scored that goal. I mean, the reports in the press were, the club were saying, we've done all we can to help him, help him both on and off the pitch. So that was a massive goal, but then didn't start in the second leg. And yeah, I, I, I don't know who's going through in that one, to be honest. Philippe Brazilian and Argentine sides have so dominated this competition over the years. Do you kind of sit over the years? Do you kind of secretly root for Liga de Quito or Cerebral Tenu in this kind of situation? Or do you just accept Yeah, I mean, everyone likes the underdog stories. When, you know, we look back at when Independiente del Valle knocked out Boca, River got the finals. It's a great story. If you don't, as long as you don't support one of those teams that gets knocked out, it's brilliant. Um, and that will be the same this year. People who don't support one of the teams that are still left in it will probably say, "Oh yeah, I'd love to see." It. And the thing is, well, I know in Europe sometimes we have this thing where people would say, "Well, my team's out, but I'll support the English clubs." You know, so, do they? Yeah. Okay. Oh, they do. Yeah. yeah there's. Yeah. I mean. TV Maybe. and radio try to press kind of, oh, we've got to get behind the English clubs yeah. for the coefficient. and for any... Not to the extent of like a City supporter saying, oh, I hope United win the league. Or, I don't yeah. think you get City supporters saying, I hope Spurs win it. I think, I think they prefer that Juve win it or something like I, that. I, I think you get uh, rhetoric in the media to try and yeah. push on the English clubs for the good of English football. Yeah, yeah, that's what they'll say. That like for, I'd like... Well, we're, out, we're outside the box. We can say whatever we want on this. No, I, I, cer I certainly feel, yeah, in the same sense, like for, from an English perspective, you certainly hear that more of okay. people saying, well, you know, they're out, but there's hope for English football's sake. I mean, I think it's changed over the years when less and less English players involved in the teams. That perhaps that's lessened, but you do get a sense of, okay, let's get behind the English clubs. You don't really get that here. It's like you support your club and then if they're out, then... Nah, I'd like. I just want to see the underdogs. Sure, oh, yeah. In fact, I'd I'd like to see any rivals. Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, they, they've won it. But I mean, compared to when you look at Argentina and Brazilian clubs, then no, you you can't compare. Uh, so the, those two people will be saying, I'd like to see one of the two progress. But it does have this inevitable look when you look at the draw of a super classical of one half. Do you want the super Yeah. I'd, of course I do because I mean, it <laughs> makes my lip. Oh no, but my my living. It, no, I mean it doesn't make that much difference to me. I'm not sure. Be, I'm not. I don't work for the police. So. Do you think it's it's uh, like obviously? Maybe think a lot of stuff gets exaggerated. So do you think it's exaggerated how problematic it would be? Or no, no, you can't exaggerate. I mean, look at the, look yeah, at. Of course, but I mean, this time it would be everything. Would I think it could be worse, potentially worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how it can be the only, worse the than only... last time because there'll be a idea of revenge that wasn't quite properly had or outdoing each other from what happened last the year. The only possible difference is that maybe, not from a supporter's side of things, but from a policing and everything else. Logistical. Logistically, yes. be like, we did make Militant. big mistakes yeah. last time. and it, Let's get it right this yeah. time. So on that side of things, do I think we'd see another? But the games would take place in Buenos Aires. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing. I mean, imagine that week, if it was one one midweek in Monumental, another in La Bombonera. I mean, <laughs> you cannot imagine what Buenos Aires will be like. But as I say, I'm not. It's a lively town anyway. Directly involved, and for my business. Side of things, I, I would much rather be talking about a super classical semi final. You can follow Peter Coatas on Golasso. Yeah, as no, well, exactly. Yeah, for, there's the plug. <laughs> that might, he was pushing for it. 2018, yeah, yeah. 2018 was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what, gained 20,000 yeah, followers what, in 24 hours. What built me? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. same, mate, same again this year. Predictions? Yeah. Um, what, do all four at once or go around the table on each game? I mean, either or, really. Let's go all in on Wilson. Okay. All four games. Palmeiras to beat Gremio because Big Phil knows how to, to get qualify. it done. Yeah, to go through. Internacional to put out Flamengo. 
because no one likes the big spenders, and I love Internacional. River Plate to beat Serra Patenio because there's so much more to come from River, and Serra Patenio are the weakest side in the quarterfinals. And I'm not joining your bandwagon. <laughs> I'm going Boca oh, rather than Liga de Quito. I, I love the idea of altitude, and I love the idea <laughs> of... Could we talk more about it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll save it, save it for the games, I think. That'll yeah, be the time okay. to chat. Um, but And I love the idea of the underdog, but I think it's just fallen too perfectly for Boca River yeah. for a semi-final. But as I say, I don't see it being the perfect one on the other side of the draw. Just think Gremio are going to fall short in the end. Yeah, so Boca River and Inter against Palmeiras for the semi-finals. I've got to say, I would absolutely love a Gremio Inter a mirror. Lively. I mean, those those two semi-finals. If you would potentially before the tournament draw it, sure. If you want games that will transcend the continent as well. No, I mean from a Commonwealth point of view, I know they might look at it as God. This has the potential to be sure. horrendous, but it also has the potential to say you get it right logistically mm. and. My word, you're going to have eyes on this tournament because mm. people are going to say, have you seen the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores? Um, do I see that happening? No. No. And I think I'll probably, for the same reason you went for Oli, that I think Palmeiras are going to get the better of Gremio. Um, and I do, I do fancy Inter to beat Flamengo. No. You two are Inter fanboys. I know Wilson's converted. Completely. I don't <laughs> normally support teams no, that play I red have, and white either. I'm but. Not, the They're reason, tidy, but... The, no, but I just think that they are tidy and I think Guerrero remains, when he's on, on, his, on his day, a number nine, which is very, very, very difficult to play against. It's just a finisher. Yeah, but to, to the point where on this continent, it's a game changer. And I think D'Alessandro, even at his advanced age, still has moments of magic. Um... Patrick and Edge Nielsen <laughs> anchoring the midfield, but also no, ability I, to play box to box. Right. If I'd been blown away by Flamengo during yeah, this tournament okay. to say, you know what, they've spent big, but they look fantastic, then yeah. I would be the first to say, no, nah, it's too much. But I've not been that impressed. We keep saying, oh, they've spent a lot of money, they've got to win it. But there's not been the performances to back it up. But there hasn't been a single side, I don't think. No, no, there hasn't. Like, but Boca, no river. I mean, no one's been like, wow, this is the side to beat. No, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's wide open. But that's um, why I think Inter are probably, because they've been the, just the most consistent in terms of the level of the performances and the discipline and getting the job done. More than anything else, they've played with the same structure, very similar 11 throughout the tournament. I mean, and it's been almost the same results, except for when they played River. Just win. So, Pete, you're, go, you're going Boca River, top half of the draw? Yeah, I mean... Again, I, I show the same hesitancy with about, about Boca, but I, I do think they're going to prevail. And you're going Palmeiras Inter? Yeah, I think so. I'm going to butt the trend, just go Flamengo. Just because, I don't know, I think they're quite exciting. And I'm going to go Flamengo, Palmeiras, Liga de Quito, River. No, I mean, I back Liga de Quito at the start of the tournament. To win it? Yeah, I just think they're the hit. <laughs> Let's clip this up, Pete, and when they do win it, then we can go back to... Nah, I don't know. I remember saying at the start of the tournament, they were like 66 to 1. No, it's just a bold like, That's too big. That's way too big. And I don't know. I think they're the hipster's choice. So like, yeah, for uh, sure. Which, yes. which is surprising that Pete's not going for no, them, for, to be yeah. honest, really. <laughs> Did notice that you'd made your first appearance on the podcast the week that the New Balance shop opened up in Palermo. So this is hard. outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Listen last week and heard all this slander. Slander, complimentary. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> He's going to tell us some real indie bands in Argentina once we go <laughs> off air, which is going to be good. So, looking forward to it. <laughs> based on the fact that I'm wearing a pair of <laughs> Pete, you've got to own it. Big thanks to Peter for joining us on the podcast this week. Remember, you can download the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor.fm, which of course is our host and other good podcast outlets as well. Email us, get in contact with the show, willwinpodcast at gmail.com. That's willwinpodcast at gmail.com. And you can get involved with us on Twitter too. David Windsor, at David T. Windsor. That's at David T. Windsor. Myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. 
Joel Richards at Joel underscore Richards. That's at Joel underscore Richards. Um, Peter Coates at Golazo Argentino. That's at Golazo Argentino. And of course, use the hashtag LibertadoresPod to send us your questions via Twitter. We'll be back once the first legs of the quarterfinals are done and dusted. We'll look ahead to the second legs and see if our predictions are holding firm. Until then, enjoy the Libertadores football coming your way. Take care.